Yet maybe this will lighten your heart, said Galadriel, for it was left in my care to be given to you should you pass through this land. Then she lifted from her lap a great stone of clear green, set in a silver brooch that was wrought in the likeness of an eagle with outspread wings, and as she held it up, the gem flashed like the sun shining through the leaves of spring. This stone I gave to Celebrian, my daughter, and she to hers, and now it comes to you as a token of hope. In this hour, take the name that was foretold for you, Elisar, the elf stone of the house of Elendil. Welcome back, guys. What is up? This is Keep on Tolkien. I'm Danny J. This is Joel N. Welcome back to our part two about Aragorn. Aragorn. Gorn. Also known as Elisar. Elisar. So when we left you off in the uh, last episode, the part one, uh, we had gotten up to the point where they had just decided to turn away from the pass of Karadras, and they were against Aragorn's better judgment, going to go through the mines of Moria to get across the Misty Mountains. Aragorn and Gandalf led the company through the dark road under the mountain. When the company is attacked by orcs in the tomb of Balin, Aragorn shows his skill once again in combat and slays many orcs and helps drive the remainder off. So after their scuffle in the tomb of Balin, the company flees across the bridge of Khazad-dûm, and at this point they're being chased by what's known as Durin's Bane, a leftover Belrog that resides in Khazad-dûm. It is actually the one that killed Durin. Yeah. Not and Durin, not the Durin you're thinking of, but a different Durin. A different Durin. It was another Durin in but the line of Durin. A Durin. Right. <laughs> Hence the name. Durin's Bane. Durin's Bane. So that's at that instance that's when we get the confrontation between Gandalf and the Belrog and that's when we lose Gandalf. Yeah, and he's uh fallen from sight. A really dramatic Dramatic, sad moment. And uh, after that, Aragorn then becomes the de facto leader of the company, and he leads them out of the mines to the edge of the forest of Lothlorien. So now, back again in Lothlorien, Aragorn and company are greeted by Haldir, one of the elves of Lorien. Haldir eventually takes them to see Galadriel and Celeborn, a bit reluctantly, but nonetheless. So on January 17th of the year 3019, the Fellowship is finally greeted by Galadriel and Celeborn. And Galadriel gives them uh, a, a bunch of gifts. That's what she does. She, she hooks them up, essentially. She gives them boats because she knows they're going to be easily, it'll be easy to travel by river to where they're going. Um, she also gives them Lambus bread, which is significant because this is only the second time in the history of Elvendom that Lambus bread was given to immortals. And the first time was Turin in the Band of Outlaws in the episode uh, Children of Hurin. Go back and listen to that. Yeah, so it's been since the first age since any elf has ever gifted Lambeth bread to a man. Yeah, and that was by uh, Melian did that, who, guess who's a good friend uh, and mentor, uh, or she's a good friend and mentor to? Galadriel. Galadriel. Yeah, I could see a lot of uh, similarities between oh, yeah. Galadriel and Melian. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they hung on together a lot. That was how she met uh, Celeborn. Gladriel is kind of the Melian of the Third Age. Yeah, she is, yeah. And she gives each of the company 
a special gift. Unique, and unique to each person. Un- yeah, unique to each person. And she gives the gift uh, to Aragorn, the elf stone, which is what we were reading about in the, um, in the excerpt in the beginning. It's a green gem that was made in Valinor, and it contains the light of the sun. And uh, you look at old things through it, and they look new again. The stone was brought to Middle-earth by uh, Olorin, who we know better as Gandalf. And that was a token uh, given to the Va- from the Valar to uh, the people of Middle-earth to say, hey, we haven't forgot you, and we remember your struggle. I actually had no idea that Gandalf had brought that gem over. Yeah, neither did I. That was one of the things I learned. Yeah, apparently there was a prophecy that was made, too. Yeah, you want to read it? Go ahead. Yeah, so when Gandalf actually gives this elf stone to Galadriel, he, he prophesizes about it. There's a little, little excerpt about what Gandalf says. It is not for you to possess. You shall hand it on when the time comes. For before you grow weary and at last forsake Middle-earth, one shall come who is to receive it, and his name shall be that of the stone. Elisar he shall be called. So Gandalf blatantly predicts Aragorn's arrival to Lorien. Yeah, wise as fuck. And that's when Aragorn takes on the name Elisar from there on out. From there on out, It's yeah. really appropriate for him anyway. Mm-hmm. And he wears that gem and people, people, you know, remember him by it. They're like, that's the Elfstone guy. The Elfstone guy. The Elfstone guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so after going down the River Anduin, even though Aragorn's original plan was to go to Minas Tirith with Boromir, he then he changed his mind and he decided he, he needed to go to Mordor with Frodo, especially after the loss of Gandalf. Because Gandalf was ultimately their guide. And with Gandalf in the picture, he very well could have just gone over to Minas Tirith and dealt with that. But now with Gandalf gone, he decided he needed to accompany Frodo. So as the company travels downriver, they, they eventually make it to Argonath. Oh, yeah, the Argonath is so cool. The Argonath is uh, two giant stone. Um, it's near the falls of Raros, and it's, uh, they're two giant statues of Isildur and Anarion. And uh, there's a cool moment when they're floating past them that everyone like notices a change come over Aragorn, and he looks tall and kingly, and he's looking at the, you know, the ancient men of Numenor, and he's like, those are my forefathers. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So while they reside at Argonath, this is when the breaking of the Fellowship happens. Yeah, they decide to camp uh, near Amun-Hen, which is uh, another um, watchtower of the Southern Kingdom. And uh, they ca- they camp there on February 26th, 3019. This, and this is where the Fellowship tries to decide where they should go next. Originally, they had planned on more or less splitting up here, but they don't feel they can do that now without Gandalf. So they've got some deciding to do. While they're deciding... This is when Frodo slips away into the woods and where he has his confrontation with Boromir. Boromir tries to take the ring. Frodo puts on the ring and runs away. And that's when Frodo decides that he's going to go to Mordor alone because he doesn't want the ring to corrupt any of the Fellowship like it did Boromir. Yeah, he figures it'll just like a disease just work its way through the Fellowship corrupting them one by one. And it pretty it much started. would. Yeah, yeah, it pretty much would. would. And it did so to him over long term anyway. Mm-hmm. By the time as, he as made we it. talked about, yeah. Frodo fails. Yeah, in the end, Frodo fails. And nothing would have happened and everyone would have lost if Gollum By hadn't, chance, wouldn't have, hadn't uh, tackled Frodo down and... Yeah, anyway. Yeah, Frodo was a failure. <laughs> damn. <laughs> so the company is completely scattered when they try to search for Frodo. They split up looking for him and then that's when they also get assailed by 
Urukai from Isengard. Not a good time to be split up. No, yeah. They as soon as they uh, they notice that Frodo's missing, the hobbits freak out and they just scatter off in the directions. Aragorn's like, no, 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 come back here, and they're just like, oh, fuck you, Aragorn, and they just run off looking for Frodo. Yeah, this is a really, really low point for Aragorn. He's been having a really rough time since Gandalf died because he doesn't know what to do, mm-hmm. and he knows that he's, he's still... got to he's got to carry this on, but he's not sure exactly what Gandalf had intended on them in the future mm-hmm. and what he should do now without him. And by the time they camped here he was so stressed out and then when everyone went running off in different directions he's like i don't even know how this day could get any worse yeah and also one of the things that i think that was weighing on his mind a lot was like he hasn't he hasn't told boromir yet that he's not coming to Minas Tirith anymore right oh that's right because yeah. he had decided not to go to Minas Tirith but go to mordor mm-hmm. but hadn't actually told boromir yet yeah well he said he'll go to Minas Tirith if frodo agrees to go there too but if frodo refuses he won't go so that was, uh, and he pretty much knew that Frodo didn't want to go to Mysteria. Right. So yeah, the company is completely scattered. Uh, Frodo and Sam slip across the river. Boromir kills a shitload of orcs. Yeah, wasn't there like 20 orcs around him? Yeah, just around his, yeah, around him. Just and 20 corpses. Yeah. So he is mortally wounded by many arrows. Uh, he was trying to save Pippin and Mary, but they were both captured by the Urukai. alas. Aragorn finally arrives Boromir's, it's too late, Boromir's up against the base of a tree, and he's dying now from those from those yeah. arrows. There's a, a, a cool part when they're um, fighting all the orcs, and they hear, and they're like, oh, shit, Boromir's in trouble. And then they go try to find him. And while he's dying, he tells Aragorn about how he tried to take the ring from Frodo, and he apologizes for it, and then he dies shortly after. Aragorn doesn't tell the rest of the fellowship what Boromir said. Yeah, he keeps I don't know it to if, himself. I don't know if he ever did. Yeah, I, like, I'm I think not only sure Frodo and, and, and Aragorn know that that happened. And Frodo doesn't tell people that willy-nilly right. either. Because it's sad, man. Because Boromir is, is a good friend of theirs. And like he had one moment of weakness and he paid for it. Right. Yeah. So there's a, a really lovely but very sad scene where Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas put Boromir in one of the boats with his broken sword and his horn and all of the swords from all the people he's killed. Yeah, that's right. All of their weapons piled under his feet. And it was a big pile of shit because he killed a lot of people. It was badass. Mm -hmm. But then they sent him out on the boat and sent him over the falls of Roros because they didn't want to leave his body to get desecrated. They didn't have time to bury it or do anything with it. And they're like, let's just give it to the Anduin and let the Anduin take him peacefully to the sea. Yeah. And uh, this is one of the times when uh, you see kind of uh, how sensitive Aragorn is, mm-hmm. and he he's a he's a he's such a he makes up a, a song like right then and there as they're burying Boromir. him and Legolas together. Yeah, him and Legolas make up a song. It's called the Lament of Boromir or the Lament for Boromir. And here's just a little section of it. From the Gate of Kings, the North Wind rides and past the Roaring Falls. And clear and cold about the tower, its loud horn calls. What news from the north, almighty wind, do you bring me today? What news of Boromir the the bold, for he is long away? Beneath Amun-Hen I heard his cry. There many foes he fought. His cloven shield, his broken sword, they do the water brought. His head so proud, his face so fair, his limbs they laid to rest. And Raros, golden Raros Falls, bore him upon its breast. O Boromir, the tower of guard, shall ever northward gaze to Raros, to golden Raros Falls, until the end of days. It's a really sad song. Yeah. It's a little... Could you just imagine this, Joel? Like, me and you, right? We're, like, out 
doing something, right? And we're assailed by orcs, right? And they, <laughs> and they murder me just on the spot, right? Mm-hmm. Could you make up a song about me within 10 minutes? No. <laughs> I couldn't either. I wish I had that ability. I've thought about that often, especially looking at the, the lament of Boromir. Yeah. If one of your friends died, could you make a song about him within like 10 minutes? Like, that's what they do. One of my favorite thing, or one of my favorite, ver- I don't want to say versions of the song, but uh, one of my favorite versions of people putting this into song is Robert Inglis. The guy who did the, uh, the audiobooks. audiobooks for yeah, the yeah, Lord yeah. of the Rings. He did a when he did the lament because he was an actor. Mm-hmm. That's why they they took him on to do the audiobook. So he came up with uh, his own musical tunes for all of the actual songs, mm-hmm. and he sang them himself. Yeah, and he did a really good job on the the lament of Bormir. It made me super sad. Yeah, it's a sad. Like part when I was of listening it. through the audiobooks for the first time, and it got to that point. And Boromir had died, and everyone's sad, and they're sending him in a boat over the waterfall, and then they just start singing this really sad song. Oh, it it made me real tingly. Yeah, he does a really he does a really good delivery of it. You guys should check it out yeah. on YouTube or something. Yeah, check out those audiobooks, guys. They're really great. Now we get to the point known as the Three Hunters, and that's when Aragorn learns that Frodo and Sam have crossed the river. He resolves to let them go alone to Mordor. He decides they can't leave Pippin and Merry to the orcs. And that they'll hunt them down. Badass. So they gather up their supplies that they can get, and they set out right away, tracking the Urukai westward towards Isengard. Uh, they track the orcs to Rohan, and there they're met by Aomar and his riders on February 30th. Aomar gives Aragorn the name Wingfoot, because they've had a hell of a run so far. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a record time run. Yeah. Um, they went all the way from Amun-Hen to Rohan, where they meet... Um, Aomer in four days. Yeah, it, it's crazy. They, they've totally just been beating themselves, making this all-out marathon. Yeah, and they got a dwarf with them. Right. <coughs> How much faster could they have gone without the dwarf? I little, don't know. An little legs, man. man. <laughs> little legs. <laughs> wow. Wow. I mean, that's just a, a fact. Things with little legs can't run as fast. Is that a fact? That is a fact, sir. Mm. Humanoid creatures with shorter legs can't run as fast as You know, there's a point where they, they talk about how good of sprinters dwarves are. Oh, I'm so, sure. So, uh, yeah. Hmm. We dwarves are natural sprinters. Very dangerous over short distances. <laughs> yeah. They'd be good at baseball, not soccer. That's what they're saying, right? I mean, I don't know. What if they were, like, sweeper in soccer? They could just, like, jet back and forth real fast. They well, I'm just saying that ba- baseball's the sprinter's game. Like, yeah, you only really run when you have to. <laughs> That's why baseball's great. You only run when you have to. And you run fast. You have to run as fast as you can. Anyway, enough about baseball. Let's get back to the Lord of the Rings. (laughs) So this is when they have their encounter with Aomer, when they just uh, entered Rohan. And Aomer tells them that they slaughtered the entire band of orcs in the night, and they didn't see any hobbits with him. Uh, Aragorn goes over to the mound of burnt orc carcasses, and he ends up finding their trail and follows Aaron Pippin's trail. Because he's that good. He can lead. Fangorn. He can find a trail of hobbits out of a battle and a funeral pyre, essentially. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's I how mean, good he is. He is the Dunedain. He is the Dunedain. Chieftain of the Rangers. And this is when we enter Fengorn Forest. I really like Fengorn. I don't know what it is. Yeah, Fengorn's dope. I like it. So this is when the Broken Fellowship just kind of stumbles into Fengorn and they meet Gandalf for the first time since Moria. They think he's been dead this whole time. And all of a sudden now, March 1st, they meet Gandalf the White. Yeah. This is when Gandalf tells them that the hobbits are safe for now because they're with Treebeard. Mm -hmm. And uh, he lets them stay with the Ents. And this is when he urges them 
to ride with him to Edoras. This is when he's Gandalf's trying to turn their attention towards the attack that's about to happen on Rohan. Because mm-hmm. the hammer will fall first in Rohan. Yeah, that's where Isengard is uh, is about to strike. Mm-hmm. So, the Broken Fellowship, uh, the three hunters, they arrive with Gandalf at Edoras the next day, and they are not warmly greeted. No, because at this point we've got. Uh, the king of Rohan is Theoden, and he's been under some kind of a a spell by Saruman. Yeah, where he's, he's been a more dick. Yeah, he's been like subtly possessed. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a cool moment with uh, so he's carrying Anduril at this point, and they're asked to disarm at the doors of Metaseld, and he's like, Haha, "No, this this I'm not leaving my sword with you guys," and he's basically like, "It's going to take a swift uh, like." The only reason he left it there was because Gandalf took off Glamdring and set it down. And then he was like, all right, well, if Gandalf is going to leave Glamdring, I'll leave Anduril. Because Glamdring is just as important of a sword. Oh, yeah. Just as high lineage. I mean, we're talking about, rather than the king of uh, Gondor. The high king of the Noldor. Yeah, rather than the high king of the Dunedain, it belonged to the high king of the Noldor back in the Gondolin days. I mean, even for the first age, Gondolin stuff was like cream top, of the crop. Yeah, top. That's the Cadillac of swords. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. More fuel efficient than a Cadillac. <laughs> All that juice. There's. I imagine there's some sort of fluid in there that makes them glow, right? Like glow sticks. <laughs> Just gotta shake the sword real quick. <laughs> you gotta shake it. And it lights up. Leave it out in the sun for a while or whatever. <laughs> So during this encounter, this is when Gandalf breaks a spell that Sauron had placed on Theoden. Uh, Theoden returns to his former self and finds that his kingdom is really not doing so well. Uh, the forces of Sauron are closing in all around them. So together, Theoden, Gandalf, and Aragorn take counsel together and decide to move the population of Rohan to the fortress known as Helm's Deep. And Gandalf is like, does the Gandalf thing? He's like, uh, I gotta go do something else. I got wizard shit to do. Wizard shit. <laughs> and I was like, all what, right, Gandalf. Whatever must you do, Gandalf? Wizard shit. Okay. All right. All right. That's all you gotta say. So he goes off to do wizard shit. And, um... That wizard shit is actually, uh, disclaimer, he's actually going to search for Erkenbrand. Yeah, Erkenbrand, who's, uh, the leader of the Westfold, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's trying to basically go get... He's going to go, go recruit. get more, more, more men. Yeah. yeah, recruit for the battle because he knows that they're not properly prepared. Yeah, because here's the thing. There's no elves at Helm's Deep, right? Yeah. No, this was a, a defining moment for men, okay? Not... No elves. No elves, yeah. No, the elves of Lorien, they just fucking hung out. Yeah. They just sat and silently watched. But yeah, that's a big thing that people... Yeah, Helm's Deep having elves in the movie. It's not right. Any right. So on March 3rd, that's when Sauron's forces finally arrive at Helm's Deep and the Battle of Helm's Deep ensues. Uh, Aragorn fights alongside Aomer and the two become really good friends in that battle. The next morning at dawn, Theoden, Aragorn, and Aomer ride out of the Hornburg in one last effort to turn the tide of the battle that was not going in their favor. No, yeah, they were, they were losing ground. They, I mean, they had already gotten through the front gate hadn't they at this point yeah no because they're just they're held up in the keep yeah mm-hmm. and they were they like ride out of the keep right right yeah the fortress has been almost completely overthrown right so when they do ride out of the keep this is when they see gandalf and Urkenbrand arriving to save the day and not only that they see off in the distance 
some fucking trees. They see the horns from <laughs> Fengorn have also arrived. <laughs> the angry trees. In this battle that they were now barely hanging on, they were losing. Not only is it one, but the horns slay all of the remaining orcs and take all the dead bodies with them and yeah. go away. There's there's no carcasses left over from the battle. Like, of what did... They took all of the orcs' remaining dead bodies with them. What do they want them for? <laughs> what are they going to do? <laughs> they have, like, just mounds of orc skulls. Like, they make art out of it. I mean, I would appreciate the cleanup. That was real nice of them, but why would they want all the... Oh, God. Maybe yeah. they... That's, maybe just, they, that's just, like, one force of nature that I would never want to piss off. The tr- Yeah, the trees? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the horns are like the trees, like at least we think they are the trees that have gone, are the ants that have gone tree-ish. Yeah, yeah. So they're 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 sentient, but they're, not as not as sentient as they were. Yeah, as, as far as like moving around, they've and gone. It seems like they've gone more like hive mind with the trees rather than yeah. like a singular sentient ant. Yeah, exactly. And that's when they show up and they eat all the orc carcass carcasses. Oh, I guess. <laughs> I mean, we do know that trees like to kill things like old man willow yeah tried to drown frodo in the tried river to drown frodo and uh, totally engulfed pippin and mary right yeah and then when uh when pomp when bombadil warns him off he says you know you need to eat dig deep. you need to eat dirt instead so i don't know if that means to imply that he was trying to eat the hobbits anyway yeah yeah trees know. fuck with people trees are mean it's a thing and also, there's a there's a shitload of uh, which wasn't in the movie. There's a shitload of evil men there, Dunlinings. Oh yeah, it wasn't just Urukai. Yeah, and uh, they actually like are shouting back and forth at each other from the top of the wall. You remember that part where they're like taunting each other? Like, no, <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, um, but they were forced to um, help clean up the wall. They were just like, oh, that's right. Yeah, because yeah, like you know, orcs are fuck them right, like slay them all. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> but men, it's kind of harder to. You know they got they're humans. They're not, they're humans. They're not filthy orcs. Right. They're a little unkempt, maybe, a little swarthy, but they're human. They're humans. The superior <laughs> superior Obviously. to orcs. I'm not going to catch any flack for saying that humans are superior to orcs, right? Like I think everybody agrees. I, I I guess I thought we were doing that sort of ironically at first, but now I'm questioning what's going on. No, man, orcs are filthy. They're oh my disgusting. god. So much hate spewing out <laughs> of your mouth right now. <laughs> no, not all orcs. <laughs> okay <laughs> all right moving forward after that diatribe <laughs> so the battle is won and aragorn once again has shown his ability to lead and inspire men against face of great evil oh yeah. just aragorn being an amazing leader once again so after this they ride over to isengard yeah and they find out that isengard is a. Uh, in ruins, and it is controlled by the Ents, yeah. and it's flooded. Not only did the Ents completely turn the tide and clean up after their battle, but the Ents also already took over Isengard. They're really efficient. And they found out, or, or who they found when they got there, Pippin and Mary, man. Pippin and Mary had been hanging out with the Ents this whole time, and they were, you know, raiding Saruman, Saruman's store cupboard, having a good time. Awesome. <laughs> Getting a little break. <laughs> This is also when Gandalf confronts Saruman. Uh, during that confrontation, he breaks Saruman's staff and permanently expels him from the Order of the Wizards. And then after that, this is when, this is when Grima Wormtongue, <laughs> like a jackass, <laughs> throws the Palantir out the window as just trying to hit Aragorn with something. Yeah. Some kind of fodder. Yeah. 
Or was he trying to hit Gandalf? He was trying to hit Gandalf. And it said, uh, was it Aragorn? One of them says, I think he missed because he couldn't decide who he hated more, Gandalf or Saruman. Oh. <laughs> but at that point, that's when Aragorn takes possession of the Palantir because it, it's rightfully his. Yeah. It's, those the are Palantir Aragorn. usually stays in, in their their family line. Yeah. And uh, well, well, the whole thing is Isengard was built by the Numenorians back in, uh, if you remember our last episode. We talked about like when they're at the height of their power and they, they build the towers around the Black Gate or where the Black Gate will go. And they also build the Tower of Orthanc to watch the uh, the western edge. Because Orthanc is, is is pretty much where the north and south kingdoms meet, right? Around that general region? Yeah, they're sort of right in between. There are certain parts where the north and south kingdom actually don't meet because they're separated by not only the Misty Mountains, but like Dunland and things. Mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, it's like a halfway point right between the two. Between the two, yeah. I think it's technically part of Gondor. Yeah. Or at least Gondor when Gondor is expanded. Yeah, oh no, yeah, it's definitely part of Gondor when it's expanded. But now it's kind of like on the edge of because they gave it to Saruman right it's like, like on the edge of Rohan on the edge of Gondor and somewhat near Eriador mm-hmm. anyway any who's <laughs> so at this this is when we get to the point where the company leaves Isengard and they resolve that Rohan must ride to the aid of Minas Tirith this is all happening in such rapid succession I mean they just barely survived their own fight now they're like okay I guess we will go to full-on war right yeah. afterwards. I, yeah, I stopped actually writing the dates in this outline when I was writing it because they were just consecutive, like, days apart. So it was like, I would sound... Right, everything happened real fast. Yeah. And right away, they just started riding out there. Yeah. Theoden's a good guy. Yeah, Theoden and, and Aomer begin to marshal all of their strength, all of the folks that they can to full-on warfare to go try to defend Minas Tirith. Uh, unlooked for, they actually get to meet up with the Sons of Elrond yeah. and a small host of Dunedain rangers from the north. Yeah, they come down like, it's imagine like it's all Aragorn's cousins and stuff. They're like, right. hey. And those are a hell of people that you want to have with you. Like, Oh, yeah. The Sons of Elrond are real badass. Yeah. I'd rather have that small, like... The Dunedain Rangers, to having a group of them together, oh, I can only imagine. Yeah, having a group of Dunedain Rangers, the Sons of Elrond, Legolas, and Gimli, like, and Aragorn, it's it's mm-hmm. a hell of a, a troop. Around this time, Aragorn also uses the Palantir to reveal himself to Sauron. It's this moment when, because, uh, and that's the thing, too, like, this shows you how much of a constitution Aragorn had, because Pippin took a hold of the thing. And it totally took control. Like, Sauron totally just immediately took control of Pippin. Right. But Aragorn picks it up, and he's able to master it and send a message to Sauron like, yo, I'm Elisar, and I'm here, bro. And I mean, just, he's the one that would normally be using the Palantir. Right, yeah, yeah. One of the, the Numenorians. They're, yeah. they're, they're from his people. Mm-hmm. Well, they're from the elves, but his people use the shit up. Also, at this juncture, Aragorn remembers a, a message given to him by Galadriel, and... uh it tells him to take the paths of the dead. And here's the, uh, the little excerpt of the message. Where now are the Dunedain, Elisar, Elisar? Where do thy kinfolk wander afar? Near is the hour when the lost should come forth, and the gray company ride from the north. But dark is the path appointed to thee. The dead watch the road that leads to the sea. So this is, like we said, when Aragorn finally decides to take the road of the dead, the dead men of Dunharrow. Now, the dead men of Dunharrow, they were a race of men that lived in the White Mountains during the Second Age. 
Uh, in the past, they had served Sauron, but they took an oath to Isildur and Gondor. And during the days of the Last Alliance, Isildur called on them to fight for him against Sauron, but they refused. And this is when Isildur laid a curse on them that if the Last Alliance were to be successful and overthrow Sauron, that their spirits would never rest until they fulfilled their oath to one of his future heirs. And it worked. Yeah, sure did. That's what it says right here in the outline. It sure worked. It worked. (laughs) So Aragorn, the Broken Fellowship, the Sons of Elrond, and the Dunedain Rangers decide to take the Pass of the Dead, to seek the the army of the dead, of the dead men of Dunharrow. And they take the paths all the way through the White Mountains, and they pass through um, cities and settlements and things that are completely empty. Right, because the paths of the dead is, is actually pretty long through the mountains. Yeah. And there's, uh, yeah, there's towns and things in there. It's actually a, a, a decent portion of Gondor. Mm-hmm. They, pa- they pass all the way through the Pass of the Dead to uh, the, what's called the Stone of Eric, which is kind of like the center of their civilization, um, of the, the old dead men of Dunharrow civilization. And at the stone, at midnight, Aragorn unfurls his banners and declares himself to be the heir of Isildur, and he calls upon them to fulfill their oath and fight for him. They agree. They agree to do it. Good deal. Right on. Right-o. <laughs> I'm sure that's what he said. Right-o. Right-o, good buddy. So this is when they make their way south from the White Mountains down to the mouths of Anduin to stop those corsairs from Umbar that were coming up to essentially flank the Battle of Minas Tirith. Yeah, they were going to, like, hammer and anvil them. They were just going to, like, flank them from both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, having the black Numenorians coming up from the river and then having Mordor attacking them all around already. I mean, yeah, they, they would have been ultimately totally destroyed. Bad news bears. So Aragorn and friends go ahead and attack the Corsairs with the armies of the dead, and it is super efficient. It works really, really well. Yeah, the Corsairs are completely defeated. It said that the only weapon that the army of the dead required was fear. Like a a bunch of the Corsairs totally flung themselves off the ships into the sea because they were just driven mad with fear. Yeah, they killed themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So after that, Aragorn releases the dead men from their oath. They were extremely helpful. Uh, Aragorn claims the black ships for his own, and he rallies all of his troops that he can get from that southern area of Gondor to come with him in the ships to go up and aid Minas Tirith rather than flank them like the ships were originally for. Right. Wouldn't that be a... That's a wicked surprise for who's ever expecting help to come, you know what I mean? Right, exactly. Yeah, so they load up the ships and they sail north to Minas Tirith. And that's when they arrive at the Battle of Pelennor Fields that's already been on its way. It's been taking place for, what, a couple... Like a day or so, right? A day or two. Yeah. Yeah, when they arrive, Aragorn unfurls a banner that was made for him by Arwen. It was a depiction of a white of the of the white tree of Gondor, along with a jeweled crown and the seven stars of Elendil. And Aragorn and friends, they proceed to just tear up Pelennor Fields. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, you got Dunedain, you've got friggin' Sons of Elrond. Like, these are these guys are prime. So they whoop ass and they they fight their way com- completely across the battle. Right, along with a whole bunch of recruits from Southern Gondor at that point. Like they've got a massive force. Yeah, on their way up. That's right. They uh they recruited a bunch of people from Le- Lebanon and uh, in the uh, southern regions of Gondor to to fill up these ships and uh, and shoot up the river. Yeah, Sauron's forces are completely destroyed at that. After the battle, Aragorn meets up with uh, one of our favorite characters. That's not in the movie. Shafted. Shafted. <laughs> Prince Imrahil of Dol Amroth. And he's an awesome character. He's awesome. 
He urges Aragorn not to enter the city until he speaks with the steward Denethor, who he's related to. Denethor had said earlier that he would not bow to any heir of his sealed or that may turn up, so he kind of knew that this would be a problem. So Imre Hill was like, hold on, let, let me go talk to him first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was just looking to smooth things over. But that's when he learns that Denethor is dead. Oh, it turns out Denethor is dead, so you can just come on up. Nobody cares. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, Denethor killed himself. <laughs> so Aragorn goes ahead and enters Minas Tirith. Aragorn goes almost directly to the Houses of Healing. When he enters the city? When he enters the city. And because he knows a lot of people are going to be affected with uh, the Black Breath. From right, because the Nazgul were fighting in that fight, mm-hmm. and it was rough. So Aragorn knows that the herb that heals every friggin' uh, ailment. Everything. Everything. Ethelas, also known as King's Foil. King's that's foil, a weed. That's a weed. <laughs> but yeah, he uses Ethelas. To heal everybody up, uh, Eowyn, Mary, and... Uh, a handful of Fale, other people yeah, that are just Jeremy. infected. And a hand, handful of other people that yeah, are... Yeah, he just goes know. around healing people, doesn't he? Yeah, and he goes around healing people. And it's actually said in Gondor that the hands of the king are the hands of a healer. Yeah, there's like an old maid that, that was working in the yeah, house. Yeah, the lady that like recalled that. And she's like, I remember mm-hmm. back in the day, we used to say that the hands of a king with the hands of a healer. Yeah, I love when he asks for Ethelas. They're like, Ethelas? What's that? And he's like, King's Foil. And they're like, why would we have any of that around? We don't know. It is, does it have good properties? And then they send out um, they like send out people to go find uh, Ethelas and bring it back. Mm-hmm. Didn't they get some from the stables or something? Yeah, because somebody was using it for some other unrelated reason. They were reason. like feeding it to the To, to the, the horses or something. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to check that. So while he's going around healing people, uh, the people of Gondor start to basically hail him as a king. Aragorn doesn't accept the crown at first. I mean, he knows that his claim could be challenged. And like we mentioned earlier, he was doing everything he could at this point to make sure that there was not another civil war in Gondor. Right, that's the last thing we need right now. They've got plenty that they have left to deal with. He can't allow things to get messy just yet. So he doesn't accept the crown right away. Um, he decides to symbolically leave the city until he can his claim can more or less be accepted by the people. Mm-hmm. And so he pulls up in a tent just outside the city. And in this tent, <laughs> a very important meeting takes place. Yeah, this is a really, really awesome scene. Super serious. Super serious. I love this chapter. It's called The Last Debate. The Last Debate is when what we get the called the Captains of the West, and they meet inside this tent outside of Minas Tirith. Captains of the West include, go for it, Joel. Aragorn, Gandalf, Legolas, Gimli, Eladan and Elrohir, the sons of Elrond, Peregrine Took, Eomer, and Prince Imrahil. And if you notice, that's a representative, uh, basically a leader from all the free peoples, like pretty much. Yeah, from like every region of Middle Earth. Yeah. This is essentially another last alliance. Right. (laughs) On a smaller scale, but still. Yeah, on a smaller scale. Yeah, the purpose of the meeting was so that they could all be there and figure out what their next move against Sauron should be. Because Sauron is a threat to everyone at this point. And Gandalf suggests that they march on the Black Gate because the Ringbearer was already in Mordor and there wasn't really anything else that they could do. Yeah, their their hands are tied at that point. Like, they knew that they wouldn't win if they tried to go attack and invade Mordor. Mm-hmm. There were plenty of forces there. He Sauron did not go full force when he attacked Minas Tirith. No, that would be stupid of him. Yeah, he had, he had plenty left, and they knew that they would not win in battle. So their only option left was to wait for Frodo and Sam. So they devised this plan. And the plan is, we're going to take a whole bunch of dudes, 
and we're going to march down to the Black Gate, and we're going to make Sauron answer for his crimes. <laughs> Essentially. Basically. Gandalf makes sure that everyone knows, too, that this is, um, this is going to probably kill them all. And he also th- says that um, Sauron probably suspects that Aragorn now has control of the ring, so he'll definitely move to try to destroy Aragorn. Right. Yeah, and they know via Faramir that the ring bearer is in Mordor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they he at saw least them, got some yeah. confirmation of that. They know that he's there, so they just want to make sure that they give him enough time and space to get to Mount Doom. So they go to distract Sauron and draw his forces. The host of the West marched east toward the Black Gate. And they were actually, they had a little scuffle. They were ambushed by uh, the, Harad, uh, the Harad and Easterlings in Athelion. But they, they drive them off and they take, it says no casualties. So apparently it was fierce and they were just like, no, you want to ambush us? Fuck you, get out of here. They're already dealing with so much shit at this time. Yeah. Yeah, they were on a mission. And these are some desperate fucking people too. Like The host was originally around uh, 10,000. But at a, at a certain crossroads, um, a lot of them are too afraid to continue. And uh, Aragorn's like, fine, if you aren't going to fight with me, at least go do something useful and uh, go liberate Kair uh, Andros. And they do. And when that force leaves, uh, that leaves us with around 1,000 cavalry troops, uh, 5,000 infantry, and then later on, uh, maybe the eagles will show up. Who knows? <laughs> So they went from around 10,000 to around 6,000. That's a pretty big cut. Yeah. Yeah, the battle lasts long enough for the ring to be destroyed. They succeeded. Frodo got to the mountain. And uh, Sauron's forces were either destroyed or just completely fled. They just went nuts when they figured out what was going on. Yeah, they just, they just took off, man. That's the And that's pretty much the end of uh, Sauron and the War of the Ring. Right. The eagles come in, swoop down pick up Frodo and Sam. Then they bring them back to, uh, what, the Fields of Cormallon, right, where they're, uh, they are uh, honored by the hosts of the West. And uh, this is what pretty much brings us up to when Aragorn finally becomes king. And that happens on May 1st, 3019. And he's crowned the King of, Gar- the, the king of Gondor and also the King of Arnor. He's the 26th King of Arnor. It would, all, it would uh, legitimately take a few years for him to uh, control that region, though. And then he's right. the he's the thirty fifth king of Gondor, and the third high king of both kingdoms. Yeah, and you see the return of the title High King. Right. Yeah, we got a High King again. Yeah. Aragorn takes the name Elisar that was given to him by Galadriel. Uh, he establishes his house, the House of Telcantar, Quenya for Strider. He named his house after his old nickname. Yeah, his old ranger name, and that's kind of like that sign of humility, you know. Like, no matter how great and powerful I become as king. I'm still Strider the Ranger. Keeping to his roots. Mm-hmm. On June 25th, Aragorn finds a sapling of the white tree. I think he found, he found it up above Minas Tirith somewhere, right? Yeah, in I think up mountains. in the White Mountain somewhere. Yeah. But yeah, that's a super significant uh, moment. So they got a seedling of the white tree back and they can replant it. On a Midsummer's Eve, Arwen and Elrond, and Elrond arrive in Minas Tirith. And Elrond finally gives Aragorn the scepter of a Numenas which is the symbol yeah. the symbolism uh, the symbol excuse me of being the ruler of the northern kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they didn't have a crown, they had a scepter. And on Midsummer's Day, Aragorn and Arwen are married. Oh. Finally happened. I love there's a part in the book when like Aragorn is like you guys should stick around. He's talking to like the the rest of the fellowship and he's like um, yeah, you guys should stick around for this thing I kind of want my buddies here to be here for. And he doesn't tell them what it is. 
And it's like, oh, you just wanted your bros there for your wedding, dude. Like, it was, it's, it's, it's sweet. Yeah, after the Battle of uh, the Black Gate, after everything is said and done with Sauron, they stay in Minas Tirith for something like four years. Yeah, it's a long time. Yeah, yeah quite just a kind of recovering, doing some rebuilding. I know Gimli and Legolas both recruit dwarves and elves to come rebuild the to city. To rebuild which the is city, really cool. yeah. And then there's the crowning and the wedding. So there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of celebrating. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, he is now High King Elisar. And his reign lasted 120 years into the Fourth Age. Um, it was marked by an era of relative internal peace and um, prosperity. And it, uh, he expanded the kingdom to as big as it is it had ever been. He recovered all the lost territory. Yeah, he recovered all the lost territory in one massive united kingdom. And he also starts... Uh, he well, he um, encourages like better relationships between the the free peoples. So like like you said, the dwarves come and help build rebuild Minas Tirith. The elves come rebuild, and everyone becomes like friends again. And right, it's we're all like, children of Ilvatar except for the dwarves. Except for the dwarves, but they're still our friends. Except you. <laughs> the North Kingdom is on its way to being rebuilt. Because, I mean, they have to completely reestablish the North Kingdom. Yeah, yeah. Now that he has rule of it, uh, Aragorn and Arwen dwell in a Numenas for a time in the early Fourth Age. The Shire is declared a free land under the Northern Scepter. Men are not allowed to enter the Shire. And isn't uh, Peregrine, he's like the ambassador of the Shire. Yeah, he, he basically becomes like the representative of the Shire to the Northern Kingdom. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, holds a, he holds a position. Aragorn himself has three children. Uh, his son, Eldarion, who goes on to be his heir, as we, as some of us may know. Um, and then he also had two daughters, two which daughters, are uh, unnamed, unknown. Yeah, no. their, their names aren't really aren't really mentioned. <laughs> Why bother? But apparently, there are twice as many of them as there were Eldarians. <laughs> so I don't know why they're the ones that went without names. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> not a minor detail. And on the last day of Aragorn's life. He knew that his time was up. He could feel it. Kind of like his mom did. She knew it was coming. He goes and he bids farewell to his daughters and his son. He gives Eldarion the crown and the scepter of Anuminas. And he goes away to the House of Kings. And Arwen stays with him by his side until he dies. She later died about a year later of grief. She had no purpose after <laughs> after. Yeah, Aragorn. the story of Arwen is actually pretty sad. It's pretty sad. And uh, yeah, and that's when Eldarion's reign begins. And that's when we go even further into the Fourth Age. Yeah, and that's where the Legendarium ends, guys. And that's uh, that's all we got about uh, about Aragorn for you. So let's let's go over a little bit of what we learned in the episode, huh? So we started off with the childhood of Aragorn and his early years off in Rivendell. We learned about all the travels and adventures that Aragorn had in his early life, or at least what's known of his adventures. What's known, yeah, because he went all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went over Aragorn's role in the War of the Ring, and he was a major factor in that. Major factor. He was a Council of Elrond member. He was a Fellowship member. He was a leader of the Fellowship he for a while. He was a leader of the Fellowship for yeah. a while, yeah. And we went over the reunification of the two kingdoms when Aragorn was crowned High King Elisar. Yeah. And that brings us uh, pretty much not only to the end of this episode, but... The culmination of our series uh, on the Dunedain. We've covered the Dunedain a lot in the last yeah. month or so. Yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> we've we ourselves have learned a lot about this, which is wh- why we were so happy to do it. It was right. really fun. I learned a lot about Arnor, especially. Yeah, yeah, because me that too. was one of the things that I did not know much about was the Northern Kingdom. Mm-hmm. But we had a lot of fun with this. We yeah. hope you guys did too. We hope you guys did too. That's um, uh, if you want to keep talking about it, hit us up on uh, on the Facebooks or the interwebs anywhere that you feel comfortable. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, that's that's all for us. Uh, I'm Danny J. And this is Jolyn. As always, guys, keep on talking. Keep on talking. Aure in Tuluva.